This is the final chapter of Acts, Acts 28. I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of sad. When I close up that commentary and I put them up on the shelf and it's like, oh man, I mean, there's a sense of, of, of accomplishment. There's a sense of um, fulfillment knowing that, you know, there's another book of the Bible that we've studied through and, um, and it's not a flat book anymore, but it's all puffed out, you know, where you crease the pages and everything. And, um, and uh, so it's, amb- it's ambivalent. It's ambivalent. Um, there's good. We've learned a lot. But there's also a, um, a sense of coming to an end of, of loss with that. But we have next year to look forward to. We're digging into the Old Testament next year. And that's going to be a wonderful study, too. As we look at Acts, this last chapter, and we'll do more of a review next week, um, there's a lot of wins here. There's a lot of wins. We all like to win, right? I mean, some of us aren't going to, well, no, but really, we do like to win. We like to win. I, I feel it's a win because we finished studying the book of Acts. We accomplished it. And I did not, I was not absent one time. So that's a win, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Um, so, so to get through that, it's a, yeah, we, it was a, it's a fulfilling thing. It's, it's a win. And so as we look through this last chapter, we're going to point out the wins in this chapter. Because last week, man, it did not seem like, it seemed like they, was going to, they were going to drown or something. So anyways, on the very first verse here, the verse, first two verses, we have, after we were brought safely through, that's a win, isn't it? Sure didn't look like it last week, safely through, and we learned that the island was called Malta, now, why did they learn that? Because we know if we look back at last week, last chapter, verse 39, they landed in this storm and they had no idea where they were. These were seasoned sailors and they had no idea where they were. And if you can follow on your, on your map on page 252, you can kind of see where they got landed down there in Malta, way down there, um, and where they're going to travel up. Most of the ships came in on the north side of Malta. Because the other side of Malta, that was big old open sea out there, and he didn't want to get out there. So had they landed on the in the north side, they would have known where they were. So when they finally things settled down, they realized where they were on this island of Malta. And the native people were unusually kind. Now that's a win. I mean, they could have come across headhunters, <laughs> savages, looters. It's a shipwreck. I mean, there could have been a lot of bad things that have happened. I mean, you guys remember Gilligan's Island and some of the fiascos that they would go through, right? (laughs) You never know if they were peaceful or not. But these were people that were civilized. They weren't savaged. They were um, very kind, beyond, a kindness beyond what was expected. That's almost a win-win with that. The, The word Malta in Phoenician means refuge. And it probably means refuge, I'm thinking, because the things that were out there in the sea, one of them was the little area of Shirtus. Remember last week we talked about Shirtus um, in verse 17 of last week. After hoisting up the little skiff on the back of the boat, they used supports to undergird the ship, fearing that they would run aground at Sirtis. Remember, Sirtis was that graveyard of ships. 
They didn't want to go there. So if they missed this island, they could have very well been swallowed up in whatever turbulence or whatever was out there, um, graveyard of ships. So the island's called, means refuge. That's a win. Cold, November wind blowing, wet, stormy, whatever. They were soaked and tired. They had to swim to shore. These people were so kind. They put a, get a fire, kindle a fire, and they welcome them because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Now, that's a win, too, isn't it? To come in and, and drag yourself onto the shoreline, wet and cold and windy. I can't even imagine that. You know, I would rather be too hot than too cold. I know some of you differ with that, but I would rather be too hot than too cold. Because <laughs> I feel I can do something about hot. Just don't, just don't touch me, just leave me alone. But too cold, you just can't get warm enough. So they were feeling pretty miserable, and this fire was very, very nice. So we're finding out. They arrive on this island, verse 3. When Paul, and am I still talking at a good volume for you guys too? When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, would that be a win? I don't think so. That would not be a win, but hold on tight. Hold on. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, I mean, you know, there it is and this thing's hanging. Everyone saw it hanging from his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. They thought he was a murderer because, because he, they knew he was a prisoner, because he was in chains. He wasn't a, a soldier and he wasn't another passenger on the ship. He was definitely a prisoner. And he just survived the storm, but they believed that fate would, you know, would come, still come upon him and he was going to die now at the, the, the poison from the vapor, the snake that bit him. And so he must, he's, he must be a bad person. A little superstition going on in this island, right? Nice people, but superstitious. Verse 5. However, what does Paul do? Shakes it off. Like nothing happened. It's like, you know, it pinched him or he just, and when he shook it off, it fell out. I would think of a, something's got its fangs in you. It's going to be like, you know, how would you get it off? But he just, Shook it off. It's like God opened the mouth and just it kind of let go. As if nothing happened. But they waited. They waited to see if it would swell up. They were watching him. They were watching to see if he would suddenly fall down dead. And after they had waited a long time and they didn't see any misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. Oh, my goodness. Well, maybe he's not a murderer. Maybe he's really a god. Because who can survive something like that? So they went from thinking something very negative about Paul to over the top thinking something that, that he wasn't also. And it's not the first time that he had been mistaken as a god. Remember back chapter 14? When they, he had healed that crippled, that crippled man, the man who could not walk from birth, and Paul healed him. And 
Actually, God was giving them a lot of signs and wonders. It says, Lord, the Lord bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by Paul's hands. He allowed Paul to do all these miracles because it justified, it solidified, it authenticated the word of God that he was preaching. But they took it too far then in chapter 14 and thought he was a god. So, but it's still a win that he didn't die from the snake bite, and it's a win that they started to looking at him a little bit more positive. They saw how something special about this guy. Well, Paul's not going to let it go where they're going to think he's a god. We know that already. In verse 7, in the neighborhood of the place where the islands belonging to the chief, the man of the island was named Publius. So Publius was the head man on this island. The whole thing was like a community. He was the Roman official um, that was in charge, kind of the Roman person, governor of the island, because Rome was, was the was the kingdom. Rome was the ruling power at the time, and it swallowed in this little island too, but Publius was their person there, the leading citizen. And he invites them in, and he's hospitable to him, to, to Paul, and, and I read that as all 200-plus people on that ship is how I read that. He, they were just entertaining these people for three days received They were received and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now, Publius was doing this even though his father was pretty sick, um, not not doing well at all. Um, It says that he was sick with a fever in dysentery, which is an inflammatory disease, gets into your lower intestinal tract. It comes on by probably bad um, sanitation. It was common in the ancient world because of they didn't have sewer systems like we have today. With great pain, fever, and severe diarrhea. I mean, that sounds horrible to me. So this, this old man wasn't doing well, but Publius was being very hospitable to these people, giving Paul and his friends um, a little R&R. So the little R&R was a big win, too, wasn't it? After you'd been beat up on, you know, on the shore, in the ocean, swimming in, whatever, the sea, and coming in, and just all the fear and all the terror, that the emotional turmoil that you went to, just to be able to relax and have these people just be kind to you and take care of you and feed you, that, that was refreshing. That's a win. But Paul finds out that his father is ill, and Paul... Just like the servant Paul, that even though he's a guest there, he's going to go and find sticks for the fire. Even though he's a guest in this in this home, he goes and he wants to serve. Always the servant heart. Um, and it's a good thing for us to remember. Um, because we're always Christians, that's first and foremost. And we should always have a servant's heart no matter where we are. Always be looking where we can serve others. Um, even in places where we are honored or guests, it's still that mentality of, of others focused. So Paul goes and visits him and prays with him and lays hands on him and heals him. Now, when this, the people saw this, they're like, wow, this is wonderful. When Paul prayed, he prayed to God, the only one true God, 
He was acknowledging and openly letting these people know that his dependence was on God's power. It wasn't him that was doing this, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that healed his father. So for all the people get wind of this, they bring all their sick people there. So for three months, three months, while they're waiting for the weather to change, winter to leave, and the seas to become more calm, they're a captive audience with Paul. Is that a win? That's a win, isn't it? Three months, these people are coming to him, hearing the gospel, um, being encouraged, um, seeing the power of the gospel, physically healed, spiritually healed, you know, just, you know what? You just wonder if the whole island just wasn't saved. Um, Was that an error by God to have that happen? Do you think? You think the wind just shifted just enough to blow that little boat down to the bottom there on the south end of that island, huh? There are no mistakes with God. Tradition tells us that a church was established there, and Publius was the first pastor. A church was planted on that island because of the storm. All the fear, all the turmoil. There was a purpose in the storm. There was a purpose on the direction of that boat. We, it, we, it, we, we forget, but we need to remember the things we go through in life, no matter how scary they are, God's got us, right? He's directing us. He's, got, he's in charge of the wind. He's in charge of all these things, and he's directing us. He's caring for us. And There's always a victory. There's always a victory for the Christian. There's always a victory. Okay. So they get off the island. The people are honor them greatly. I mean, what a what a win-win all the way around for the people of the island and for Paul and the rest of the crew. Um, This a fabulous little three months there. So in verse eleven. Three months are gone. They set sail down. And the detail in the detail throughout Acts is amazing. And we say, oh, why is all that stuff in there? You know, I mean, they stayed one day here, and then they went there, and this is the name of the ship, and this was the figurehead on the ship, and then they went to this, and then they sailed down to Regia, and then they went to um, Petolio. We're in, we're in Italy now, Petolio. Okay, and so all these little details and people came down to see them as far up from Appius and three taverns. And if you look at your map, you've got Rome is up pretty high. And then you've got these other two places down here. And then they got where, where they came into to, um, port. People walked for 48 miles to get to them. Up, I don't know. People walked to 48 miles to get to them. <laughs> Turn my back on the speaker. Um, so the detail that Luke is putting into this authenticates the scripture. As, as archaeologists uncover things around the world and in this area, it just always proves Paul, Luke is right over and over and over again. The Bible is right over and over and over so when we have these details, don't get bored by them. Don't feel they're just tedious little things in there. 
they are accurately saying that the word of God is true. And that's a win. That's another win. So when they get to um, um, Portulio, they found brothers and, and came down, and they all came from oil, and they invited us to stay with them for seven days. And so there they're, again, refreshed with people. This was not a church that Paul planted. This were probably Christians that came out of the, the um, Pentecost that were there. And so they heard that Paul was coming, and they go down to greet them. It wasn't uncommon for the people to go out and meet a king. It was uncommon for people to go out and just meet, you know, Uncle Joe's coming into town, but are we going to walk 48 miles to see him? No, we'll just wait till he gets here. But if it's somebody like a king or somebody very special to be honored to come, the people will traditionally, it's their custom to go down and, and meet the king and escort them into town. What a lovely welcoming that was. Let me let me meet you at the train and pick you up. You don't have to rent a car. I'm going to bring you home kind of idea. It's a warm and welcoming thing. And, and so the people were doing this, and they invited them there, and they stayed there for seven days. And all of a sudden, Luke just writes, I mean, the whole book, <laughs> Luke just... He just has got a sense of humor <clears throat> when he just, when he says stuff like it was, you know, he, he minimizes stuff. We had one last week. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't any small riot or it wasn't, you know, any, when, when he does, does that, well, he does this here too. The whole focus of the book here is to get to Rome. And what does Paul say in 14b? And so we come to Rome. And that's it. <laughs> they get to Rome. They get safely to the shores of Italy. They're not in Rome yet, but they're on the shores of Italy. That's a win, too. And the picture of the people coming down there, um, brothers there, where they heard that we, were, we had come, came as far away as these places. They came down there, and they thanked God, and, they, and Paul took courage took courage. He, his heart was lifted. It was like, when you read that, they arrive and all these people come down there to, to just welcome him. It's a sense of arriving on the shores of heaven. This just came to my mind. I don't know if it hit anybody else again. But you know, there's old hymns about getting on the shores of uh, Jericho, uh, uh, the Jordan River and getting there and arriving in heaven in a celebration of all God's people are united. And I just it's just almost a glimpse of heaven there as Paul arrives on the shores of Italy. It has been a long, much, much long-awaited trip to get there. This has been Paul's whole focus Back in chapter 19, verse 21, Paul says when he was in Ephesus, I must visit Rome. And in chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus tells Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus tells him he's going to get to Rome. Paul has that sense, I need to get to Rome. And then in chapter 27, verse 24, when Paul was on the ship in the storm, what did the angel tell him? You got to get to Rome because you have to stand trial before Caesar. 
all the focus is to get to Rome. And Luke just says, and we came to Rome. Well, we're excited. We're excited about it. I'm sure they were too, and I'm sure Luke was too. Um, God fulfills his promises. He makes a promise, that's a win, because we're always going to know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that that's going to come true. We get down to verse 16 here. You know, all along, he is, Paul is acknowledging God, the one who gives him these things, gratitude, um, and God is right there when Paul is a little weary, when he needs to be pumped up. He's about to go into Rome now, okay? What, who knows what awaits him in Rome? Because in Rome, a lot of the people, a lot of the prisoners, maybe all the prisoners on that ship that he was traveling with, there were other prisoners there, were being taken to Rome because they were convicted of crimes. And in this day, when someone was convicted of a crime, they were used for the entertainment in the um, uh, arenas to get killed. It was, it was entertainment to watch these prisoners battle, uh, um, what is the word? Ga- uh, gala, ba ba ba. Gladiators, thank you. Gladiators, and, the, and gladiators are like, hoo, 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 right? And so the prisoners, if, if they were convicted of a crime, this is where these people were going. That was big sport back then in those coliseums to watch this. And the people were forced to go in there and watch this stuff happen. They packed them in there and they made the people view this kind of stuff. You talk about torture and controlling people. They would even, a side note here, they would even go all over the world and bring in beautiful exotic animals like giraffes, um, things that weren't common to the, to the Romans in that area, big, beautiful animals, and they would kill them for sport and make the people watch. Romans were not kind people. So a lot of the men on, people on the ship, the men on the ship that were prisoners, this was their fate. So here was Paul. Paul knew he was innocent. So far, the Romans had declared him innocent, but really it was in God's hand what would happen to him. Um, so there was a lot of anxiety with some other people that he was dealing with there. But he was, he was um, encouraged by the love uh, of the fellow believers there in Italy that came out to meet him. So he was also, in verse 16, um, when they came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that was guarded by him. Now, it wasn't one guard that was assigned to him. This is a cool thing, too. This is a real win, too. Paul's just loving this. Because the guards took shifts, right? If they were four-hour shifts or six-hour shifts or whatever they were, there was a rotation of Roman soldiers that came through to guard Paul. Now, could you imagine what it would be like to be guarded? chained to Paul or hang out with Paul. I'm sure some of them kept him chained for a little bit. No, we're going to stay chained. We're not going to do that. But Paul's just there, you know, just talking about the love of Jesus, love of Jesus. And and some of them were, were, you know, a little bit less strict and they just guarded him and maybe let him take his chain off. I don't know. It depends. But over time, we find out that Paul pretty much talked to the whole Roman guards. 
They all heard the gospel. So he has a lot of liberties there while he's in Rome. But he arrives in Rome. That's a win. That's a fulfillment of God's promise. It also fulfills, you know, what our theme verse is. In verse chapter 1, 8, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He was there, right? And in all Judea, he did it there. In all Samaria, he did it there. And to the ends of the earth. And at this time in history, Rome was pretty much the ends of the earth because Rome was the dominant um, uh center focal point of the civilized world. It was all about Rome. It was a vast empire. By this time, when Paul gets there, it had existed for 800 years, had a rough population of about 2 million people. Half the people were slaves. Half the people were free. And in the part, the 1 million people that were free, society was divided into three classes. A small upper class a very large pool of poor people, and then you had the one million slaves. So Rome was a magnificent city, and Paul had finally gotten there. And Julius, the Roman centurion that was guarding him all along this thing from the very beginning of his trip across the sea, was able to successfully fulfill his duty and deliver his prisoner there okay so this is a win he's there he's made it to rome he's not stuck in a cell someplace he's got a a home he can be with he's got a continual rotation of roman soldiers that he's sharing the gospel with that are going back to their homes or their families or wherever they're from and kind of sharing that what a great way to spread the gospel from that island on maltus malta that just the whole island probably got saved or the majority of it anyways, and to this Roman Empire, he's just infiltrating with the word of God because of this little little guy, Paul. That's a win. That's another win. All right, finally, finally. Paul has always had a heart for the Jewish people because he's Jewish. You know, I'll just make reference to that verse again where he says that he would have it that he would be cursed just so the Jews could believe. He really was that self-sacrificing and had a love for them, a Christ-like love for them, to, to be one for Christ. Because when, when the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures became alive to Paul, it was like, whoa, that was excitement that he just, he just couldn't keep it to himself. It's like, why can't you guys see this? It's so obvious. The Old Testament points to God, points to Christ. So he's here one more time, one more time, or one final time for him probably to grab hold of the Jews. In verse 17, doesn't take much time to get his little group together. After three days, he's calling the, the local leaders of the Jews together. One more time, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And at this meeting, he lets them know, brothers, he's identifying with them. He's their peer. I've done nothing wrong, but yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem. 
He goes in and he tells them what's happened. The Romans examined me, but they wanted to set me free, but they couldn't find any reason to put me to death. But the Jews objected. And so after I appealed to Caesar, there's no charge against me, no charge against the nation. I've done nothing wrong. For this reason, I asked to come and see you and speak with you. Now, he asked to have an audience in front of Caesar, but in reality, he wanted to get to Rome to be able to talk to the Jews. He's there. He wants to be able to, them to hear firsthand from him what's going on. I have come to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. So Paul has told them they've had three separate hearings up to this point. The Jews have had tried him three different times, and they have not been able to prove their case. The Romans haven't found anything wrong with him. The only reason he's in chains is because he preaches the Messiah. That's the only reason. And so they say, okay, Paul, in verse 21, We'll hear you. We haven't received any letters. Now, you think if he'd been, if he, you think if he was such a bad boy and they really wanted to nail him, they'd send all these letters. Well, maybe they were lost in a shipwreck. Who knows? Um, they haven't had any word about it, no bad reports about him. But if you look at a timeline, Paul was like the last ship out and then they shipwrecked in, in winter, and so they were the first one of the first ships going in after winter. So you can give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they tried to send something bad about him, but they didn't. But for whatever reason, they didn't really have a case, so they really didn't bring any evidence, send any evidence down to tell them about. But these Jewish people here in Rome are willing to hear Paul and the sect we know that everywhere is being spoken against. So at least Christianity had a reputation going, didn't they? The sect that was being spoken against. All right. So, I love this. This is a big win, too, for Paul. Verse 23. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. Here he goes. God just brings the people in. Paul's got his big audience again. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, which means he was bringing in all the Old Testament scriptures that point to Christ, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. I mean, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. He spent all day, from morning to evening, expounding truth to these people. Wow. While he was in chains. He was, for many years of his life up to this point, the missionary who traveled around, right? Right? He would go, he would go, he would go there and there and there and there, and he'd meet with the people. Now, these last final years of his life, 
he's pretty much in one spot and people are going to start coming to him. And these Jews came to him, these Jewish leaders came to him, and here the whole argument, the whole evidence laid before them. And yet in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, and others disbelieved. And they started to disagree among themselves, and they parted ways from Paul. And that's always going to be the case. Some are going to believe, but the majority of people are not. The majority are not. But God always has his remnant. He's never left without a witness in the world. They just could not see or open to Jesus being their Messiah. They had a hardness of heart for some. They refused, refused to turn from their sin and turn to God. And so Paul says, the Holy Spirit was right. I love that line. I mean, if that's not just a profound statement. (laughs) Verse 25b, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people, the Jews, and say, you will indeed hear, but you'll never understand. And you will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul, let it be known to you, Paul says, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And that's us. That is us. Now, was it a win for the Jews? No, but it's not the end of the story. But for us as the Gentiles that are grafted in, that is a big, big win. And Paul leaves them, again, brokenhearted and grieved. You know, he writes about it later in Corinthians that Christians are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, the other, a fragrance from life to life. So the message of the gospel is either going to be a fragrance of, of life or a stench of death. And he left them arguing, grieving. And we don't know if Paul knew or not. We knew that Paul knew there'd be a judgment because scripture talks about a judgment. But we don't know if Paul knew that the judgment was only going to come a few years later. Because 70 AD is right around the corner here. It's less than five years away, just like three, three or so years away. And in 70 AD, the Jews were just slaughtered, just massacred. Jerusalem was destroyed. They scattered. Those who weren't killed were scattered. And so judgment comes when we reject the gospel. Paul spends two years waiting for his trial in Caesar's court. They were probably backlogged, kind of like us here. We're pretty backlogged here, waiting for his trial. But he had those two years in Rome supporting himself, probably a tent maker or a leather maker or whatever he was doing. Maybe people were supporting him. says he was self-supportive. 
but he was able to stay put as an old man, and people could come to him. During this time, two years waiting to be tried, he wrote the letters to the, of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. He wrote letters to those churches. Okay? He welcomed everyone to come to see him. One of the people that came to see him was a runaway slave named Onesimus. Remember Onesimus? It's a book about him. Onesimus, runaway slave. Philemon. Paul told him. Onesimus ran away and came to Rome and, and talked with Paul. And Paul told him to go back to his master Philemon. Okay? The gospel reached all the guard, palace guards. That's even recorded in Philippians 1.3. The gospel reached all the palace guards of Rome. After the two years, he was probably acquitted because there was really no case against him. There was no evidence. There was nothing. He was probably acquitted. History tells us that a few years later, he was probably arrested, condemned, and executed under Nero. But he was able to preach and teach proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And he did, too, when we look back over this, didn't he? He did. Nothing really hindered him. Snakebike didn't hinder him. Shipwreck didn't hinder him. Being beat up didn't hinder him. If he had to run away or go someplace else, there was an audience to share the gospel. There were no hindrances to him to share the gospel. Side note here that some of you might find interesting. Did any of you look for verse 29? Did any of you find verse 29? It's in the King James. King James has verse 29. The ESV does not have verse 29. And it, verse 29 pretty much just repeats up... Um, verse 25, and they left disagreeing. It's just reiterated there with that. But I thought it was a misprint in my Bible. So I dug through the shelves of the other Bibles and got the King James out, and there it was in the King James. So anyways. um, This ends here. But a lot of people make reference to the church today being chapter 29. Because it is a never-ending story, isn't it? One of the commentators I read said, referred to this chapter as the, titled it, The Never-Ending Story. Because this is the beginning of the church age, and we are living in the church age. And we have written down how the church age is going to end. And that's, those pages are being flipped pretty quickly to that. But we have to remember that, like Paul... In this day, there is an urgency to boldly speak out without hindrance. There is. I think God kept this Bible study open. It wasn't anything we did. You know, how we found this church that allowed us to come and freely come and didn't shut the doors. I mean, that was just the direction of God here. And he will continue to guide us and let us be able to speak the word of God in this little Bristol corner of the world boldly and without hindrances. One verse here left for you. Almighty God, now unto you, who is able to work so as none can hinder, be all honor and glory, dominion and power, forever and ever. 
Amen.